Hi, I'm Mark Morenshaw from Newsdata. Our skilled journalists spend hundreds of hours each week researching, writing, and editing content for our energy newsletters. For independent, expert coverage of Western U.S. electric and natural gas issues, visit Newsdata.com for your free trial subscription. Broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. And thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Rural Broadband Today. I am not Stephen Smith. This is Andy John substituting um, as the podcast host for Stephen here at the Fiber Connect 2021 conference from the Fiber Broadband Association. Today, we're taking a look at the people and issues shaping the rural broadband story, and I'm excited to have you join us. My guest today is Doug Peters, who is the president and CEO of TVPPA, the Tennessee Valley Public Power Association. Doug, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm honored that you asked. Great. Well, we, uh, we enjoy um, uh, knowing the folks over at TVPPA, and uh, uh, they've got a couple of conferences coming up later this year uh, that will be joining them. Today, we are at the center of the rural broadband world here at the Fiber Broadband Association, Fiber Connect 2021 in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, you'll probably notice, uh, as we say on most of the episodes, uh, what you're hearing uh, is not background noise, it's ambiance. So we're we're right here, a little extra energy um, here at the trade show portion of it. But I wanted to talk to you, Doug, today about the shifting um, attitudes and uh, energy around... um, uh, I don't know if the attitudes are, are, are shifting so much as there's just so much more action right now uh, with the TVPPA members and broadband. Um, we, as we were talking before we hit the record button, it's not a, a new thing necessarily for TVPPA members, but it's certainly something now that's getting a lot more attention and has a lot more energy than it did a few years ago. We, uh, we have several members who've been in uh, the telecom business for a very long time. And uh, without uh, going too far down this road, it started out way back in the day, probably even in the early 90s, uh, you know, with some dissatisfaction, uh, customer dissatisfaction with major carriers that folks can probably guess who I'm talking about. And so our members answered um, the challenge from some of their customers and said, why don't you get in that business? And so back in the day, it was really more cable. But as we all know, that kind of telecom sometime in the 90s, um, certainly uh, late 90s, early 2000s, morphed into the internet and broadband and fiber, and, um, and our members morphed with it. And so they may have started out in a very traditional, at least at the time, very traditional uh, coaxial cable kind of system doing uh, the same thing that the major carriers were doing, they very quickly got in uh, to, um, to fiber and broadband. Uh, and it started with our municipal members first uh, because that's where the greatest dissatisfaction was. Um, and, and we all know uh, our municipal members typically are denser in terms of their sure. customers per mile. Sure. And uh, the co-ops were... Um, at, at a slight disadvantage because of that. But over time, um, you know, today in, in 2021, you, you just can't have life if you don't have broadband. 
and and you know the and I'm not going to tell you anything that others aren't saying as well. Uh, the pandemic simply accelerated or put even more emphasis on broadband, especially in rural areas, because education, uh, healthcare, economic development. If you don't have world-class broadband, you're at a significant disadvantage. My youngest daughter just finished her um, family practice residency. Nice. And, you know, I said, you know, how, how is this working during the pandemic? And she said, we've moved to telemedicine. And she said, you know, at first we were kind of skeptical. You know, can I really effectively treat uh, a person over the Internet? Right. And... She said, we learned very quickly, there are several day-to-day sniffle kind of stuff we can do, but we also recognized, you know, some early COVID patients and said, no, 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 you got to come in. And so it was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience for her. And she was in Savannah, you know, not necessarily a rural part, Savannah, Georgia. Right. So not necessarily a rural area, but it, so even in, in medicine and certainly uh, I've used this uh, analogy because I'm from Chattanooga, and you know, EPB just made their internet available to every kid in Hamilton County, um, and and you know during the pandemic and even in a post-pandemic world, if your child doesn't have access to world-class world-class broadband, they're at a significant disadvantage. So our members are very interested. Uh, the co-ops are now getting into it. Um, it's just it's just one of those things that I think year after year after year, within a couple of years, we're going to see the vast majority of our members providing this kind of service, and it's just a, it's just a, as a result of the technology that's changed over the last thirty years. One of the reasons that I wanted to be sure to have you on, and I should have gone through some of this at the beginning to give some background, because uh, TVPPA is a little bit different association than some of the statewides and, and some of the, the associations that are just cooperatives or that are just yes. for municipals. Yes. Because you guys, just for a little background for the listeners, you guys have both um, uh, municipal uh, power providers and the co-ops. And you guys are in, I believe it's seven states. Seven states. That you have members in seven states. Yes. So that gives you kind of a different perspective on uh, not just the two different models there, but also how things are going in different states. Tennessee has been, um, I would say, a little bit of a leader in uh, in support for um, uh, for broadband networks. Yes. Tell us a little bit about, um, and I guess we'll keep it very high level because it would take a long time to dissect <laughs> all seven states, uh, but tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the different states where TVPPA has members in terms of support. Well, certainly Tennessee, uh, the last two administrations have been very interested in this, and uh, there's an ever-increasing amount of um, uh, grant money available from the state of Tennessee. And our members have been very successful, very aggressive in applying for that because they know the role that broadband plays now, you know, and, and, and again, our appetite for it is insatiable, you know, whether it's entertainment or any of the other things sure. we've talked about. Um, Mississippi has uh, also gone at it in a very big way. Uh, very recently, and our, our uh, especially our co-op members down there, but some municipals as well that that weren't already in this business, 
um, are, are taking advantage of that as well. Um, we do have a few members in Georgia. Um, Georgia is increasing the amount of their grant money, but it's not really at the same level Tennessee and Georgia, and I, I mean Tennessee and Mississippi. Um, I don't think it'll stay that way. I think Georgia will um, will, will recognize um, the fact that uh, a, a good portion of their state needs this kind of sure. incentive and infusion of of grant money to, to really uh, compete, especially on the economic development side. Um, right. I'm not as familiar with Virginia. We only have one member in sure. Virginia. Sure. I'm not as familiar with um, North Carolina because we have a very small presence in North Carolina. Right. Kentucky and Alabama, though, are, are probably someplace in between um, Georgia and Mississippi and Tennessee. So the seven states um, are, are, are clearly recognizing that broadband is really the same kind of, it has the same kind of impact on society in the 21st century that electricity had in the 20th century. It, it just is, it's, it's, the, it's the fifth, you know, depending on how you count them, it's the fifth utility. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost a necessity on several fronts. Now, you were recently up in Washington, D.C., yes. and I imagine some of that is the message that you took with you uh, when you were going up there. Tell us a little, a little bit about uh, that visit and, and what, either what the conversations were like or, or what the message from, from TVPPA and, and some of the other folks with you was. Uh, you know, Washington is Washington. We all understand it's fairly partisan now. Fairly. Maybe, <laughs> it may be very partisan right. now. right. Um, but broadband, or no, no, I'll, uh, let me, let me st start here. Sure. Infrastructure is the hot topic up there. And, of course, there's any number of definitions of what falls in infrastructure. Right. Um, so we were trying to make the point um, that if, you know, if Washington is going to um, uh, incent or provide money for infrastructure, don't forget transmission, distribution, and broadband. And, of course, they were already very attuned on the broadband issue. Um, but I do think we surprised a few folks. Um, there are two facts that I typically use uh, that um, are striking, I believe. Um, municipals and cooperatives in this country total, you know, 2,800, 3,000 independent, locally owned power companies at the distribution level. They provide about 30% of the energy, or deliver 30% of the energy, but they deliver it to over 70% of the land area. So there are vast portions of our country that would not have electricity today were it not for the municipals and cooperatives. And quite frankly, um, I think uh, um, I, I think that I can boldly say the same thing's going to be true with broadband. I just heard yesterday, and I found this really interesting, and I won't get into the state, but there is a state who just um, changed the law um, and said if you're going to provide broadband into a underserved area, okay, you know, because the major carriers I always say one of the big barriers is the pole attachment fee. And, you know, the pole attachment fees run 
probably ten to thirty dollars a year per poll. And so the state just changed the law just six months ago and said if you'll serve an underserved area, uh, we'll mandate that your poll attachment fee is a dollar. And wow. so far, no major carrier has taken them up on that. So when you hear the major carriers say, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. when you hear the major carriers say poll attachments um, are in the fees are a barrier, that's not really true. Interesting. I'll have to. I had not heard that, but I'll be. I just heard it yesterday. That. Okay. Interesting. Well, when we're talking about um, uh, poll attachments or uh, really anything in the valley. Um, TVA is not usually that far uh, from mine. And obviously, I'm not going to ask you to speak for them. Uh, but is there anything that as we're looking at rural broadband in the Tennessee Valley, um, are there is there anything either that helps or maybe that hinders um, uh, this area in particular as to different areas of the state or different areas of the country maybe that didn't have an entity like TVA um, involved uh, the way that it is? No, I think I think TVA is doing all that it can um, TVA has had its own fiber network. I used to work for TVA way back in the day. And they've had their own fiber network for their own intranet purposes, if you will, for a very long time. And so just a few years ago, they announced um, a $300 million upgrade to their system. And of course, now when you do that, the incremental cost of adding capacity beyond what they need for their own purposes is nothing. Right. And so they very carefully, very intentionally came out to our members and said, as you do what you do locally, if you need a path across to a different node for a better price or for redundancy purposes, you know, let us know, we'll work with you so you can kind of piggyback onto their backbone. Now, um, um, you know, if you if you look at the TVA transmission system, and you look at where members are doing this, there have been some um, avenues that were uh, exploited because of that. But um, uh, I don't think it was as much as we hoped for. But that's not TVA's fault. It's just a it's a it's a uh, it's a location issue. Sure. So TVA's done everything they can. Um, our sister organization, let me just get a quick plug in for them. Sure. Our uh, sister organization, Seven States Power Corp, um, I think is, is trying to do what I, what I believe will be very beneficial to our members in terms of broadband. If you think about the 153 members, and roughly I'm guessing uh, about half of our members are now into this, uh, they're doing that on a local level. Um, if you are one of the major carriers or even SunTrust Bank and you want an intranet for all of your banks or all of your offices in the Tennessee Valley, you don't want to go cut a deal with 50 or 60 different uh, providers. Right. You would like a, a single mid-mile network administrator sure. that you can cut a deal over and Seven States is trying to do that. And I think that's gonna, I think that's going to multiply uh, the return on investment because they're they're making the decisions locally in terms of that ROI. But now, if you can throw some value on top of that, because you can, you're interconnected with your peers across the state, right? 
um, that's just another revenue stream. And, um, um, and, and I, Seven States is very early in that process, but I think they're going to be successful before it's all said and done. That's a, a very interesting niche for them to, to yes, step into. Yes, yes. Nice. And, and um, uh, quite frankly, it was our, um, uh, our member, Chattanooga Power Board, Electric Power Board of Chattanooga, who kind of clued us into that. They were trying to bid on an AT&T uh, request you know, for a pathway across the valley. And um, they helped us understand that AT&T made it very clear they didn't want to deal with but one entity to cut that deal. So I don't know what happened on that because I don't think there was a single entity that could make it happen. Right. But it certainly was a lesson learned and, and an objective that we added uh, or that seven states added to what they're trying to do. Now, and, and we've mentioned them a couple times already. You can't really talk about um, broadband in Tennessee without bringing up EPB uh, in Chattanooga. I know Knoxville right now is there's a lot of headlines uh, with the Knoxville, I guess KUB, um, yes. building out a municipal network. Yes. So the, the big city stories are certainly there, but what are some success stories that you uh, you've heard both municipal side and the co-op side? Because uh, there's there's a lot of broadband being built outside of the big cities yes. in Tennessee as well. Yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give another little plug for just TVPPA. Uh, starting in the late 2000s, uh, TVA um, put us on notice that they were going to change the wholesale rate structure. Um, and um, uh, technology like uh, uh, automated meter inf metering infrastructure uh, could be very important. Um, now, we were specifically working with TVA to change the wholesale rate structure in a way where you, we, you didn't force members to have to force members to an AMI system. So even in like 2008-2009, um, our members got together um, and said, in order to get ready for the future, um, instead of worrying about AMI right now, build out a fiber backbone such that you can interconnect to TVA and you can interconnect uh, to all of your substations. So several of our members took that very seriously and, um, um, and what they found kind of organically is as they built out their systems individually, they were getting very, very close to each other and they began to interconnect. And that opened up already uh, some new um, uh, revenue streams for them. It's it's very rare for a member to install dark fiber and um, and and not find someone who wants to come over that dark fiber within just a few months. Sure. So so our members like in Trenton, Tennessee, Gibson uh, EMC, uh, Jackson, Tennessee's been in it for a very long time. Uh, Tullahoma's been in it. Uh, Bristol, Tennessee's been in it. Uh, several of our members, not the least of which, Glasgow, Kentucky. Um, so it's not just the major metropolitan areas. Uh, oh, um, Fork of Deer, a very small um, co-op in Halls, Tennessee, got a grant from um, the Department of Agriculture because it came through that avenue. Okay. And then... Uh, uh, Secretary Purdue, former governor of Georgia, right. came out and brought the big check and handed it to him. And, and so Halls, Tennessee, in very rural northwest 
um, uh, Tennessee is building out a broadband network very successfully. Uh, Holston Electric in East Tennessee. Other side of the state, yeah. If if I'd have thought about it, I'd have brought a laundry list because now I'm worried that some of my members <laughs> will hear this and they'll go, Doug, why didn't you mention Maybe us? It's a dangerous question. You can you can blame it on me for sure. And I think the analogy that you used earlier, or uh, the metaphor, we've seen this before, where there there are pockets oh, being yeah. built. Yeah, uh, the metaphor or analogy that I always like to use, and you know, I'm old enough to barely remember it. I remember when. 75 was not complete from Chattanooga to Atlanta. You had to get off kind of in Cartersville and go around. One of the last sections of the interstate system to be finished. Yeah, So today what you have in terms of broadband in this country, it looks like the the interstate map did in the 60s. You know, when they were building it out, there were portions or areas where you could go really, really fast and then 10 miles later, you're back to a two-lane road. And so what we're trying to do in the, in the Tennessee Valley um, is make that a much more comprehensive and universal um, map so it's such that it looks like the interstate map today. You know, it's hard to imagine not getting on 65 or 75 or 24 or 40 or, you know, name them. Right. And go where, almost wherever you want to at, you know, an accelerated speed. And and uh, I think that's we're 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 not. It's not the '60s. It's probably the '80s now, or or maybe the '70s. We're we're getting there, uh, but I, I think that's an apt analogy. I like it. I like it a lot. The last question I had for you um, is, if you don't mind getting out your crystal ball, let's look uh, and see what what's coming next. What's uh, you know as we're looking forward to the future. Uh, in the Tennessee Valley, uh, and I guess with with the rural broadband as a whole, if you want to speak to that. But well, what comes next? I guess we're we're there's so much attention in in political circles right now about rural broadband. Um, I, I I hope that attention stays. You know, the, like you were talking about Washington earlier. Sometimes the attention span <laughs> isn't there to because uh, c- this is a problem that you can't just throw a couple of grants at it and it'll be done. It's going to no. take a while to get there. Well, if you think about to me. Broadband is the same kind of technology as electricity in the 21st century as electricity was in the 20th century. And so, you know, we started building out the what we now know today as the grid in the early 1900s, right? Um, and um, quite frankly, we, we and APPA and several municipal members uh, just a summer or two ago, um, sent some um, resource, both material and manpower, to a small reservation in, I think it's New Mexico, to get them electricity. They were on generators and had been forever. And so you don't think about it, but there are still in this country some small number of places where you can't get electricity. So we've been trying to electrify this country for a hundred years. Um, and, and quite frankly, I believe the industry has done amazingly well with that and built what I consider to be the most complex, reliable machine in the history of man, and that's the electric grid in this country. Pretty amazing when you think about it. So it's going to take some time in order to get broadband. Um, the, 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 the challenge will be, because uh, I've got uh, three daughters, 
and they just can't imagine life without it, and neither can anybody else. True. Um, you know, my daughter's in their late 20s and early 30s. Um, so customers aren't going to wait 100 years for this. It's going right. to be a huge, huge challenge to build it out um, uh, and make it ubiquitous. Um, and, and I think what, what's going to happen is, especially in the, uh, and I'll just keep this in the electric utility sector, if you will, because again, broadband has applications in medicine and education and economic development and commerce. Uh, you know, who doesn't buy something off of Amazon? You know, I, I placed an order probably 30 minutes ago. I did one this morning, yep. So, um, but just, just in the electric utility sector, what's going to happen is you're going to see um, water heaters, thermostats, EVs, EV batteries, backup generation, any, oh, you, if you can put an IP address on it, it's a device that can be controlled. And, and now, if you think about that daily load curve, that daily load curve was just something that the industry had to respond to. You, you know, because right. customers do what they do. They, sure. they get home and they turn on the air, or they turn on the water, or you know, make coffee in the morning and take a shower. So you just had to respond to it. But now, with the um, ability to talk to these devices and control these devices, and because of the diversity, um, you can manage that load curve and make that a much flatter curve to uh, serve. And in doing so, you'll reduce cost, you'll reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so I, I think what you're going to see over the next 20 years is a lot of effort to aggregate or harness the load as the complement to the generation with trans uh, transmission and distribution in the middle, um, and, and you're gonna manage that. Now that is a very difficult equation to solve, sure. because just to use TVA as example, roughly they have a few hundred assets that they can meet that load curve with every day. Their own generation units and the utilities that they're interconnected with. So a few hundred assets to manage. Right. On the load side, you're talking millions. Right. And so you're going to see AI come into this in terms of, uh, and it's going to be software and managing all of that. Now, it's, there's going to be operators and human, I'm not saying, of course, you know, right. this, <laughs> this isn't Skynet, right? right. Terminator's right. not coming. Right, right. But, but it's going to be a huge challenge to, to handle all of this disaggregation. And you're going to have to do it if you're going to keep affordability, reliability, and predictability. Because planning, a lot of folks don't fully appreciate this, and I know I'm way off track here. So I'll, I'll get back on track in a minute. Go for it. But... If you think about what the electric utility has done over the first hundred years, it planned long term. It knew how many assets it had to build, transmission and generation and distribution, to serve the curve. And in doing so, it kept it affordable, reliable, and predictable. Right. With all this disaggregation on the load side, that's a huge challenge, and it's going to take a whole nother level of long term planning. 
to manage that and keep affordability, reliability, and predictability where we've all grown accustomed to it. Right. I don't want to live in a world without electricity. <laughs> I hear you. I, my, uh. And I can guarantee you, every time the, when my daughters were growing up, every time the power went out, Daddy, I'm bored. And I'm going, it's only been five minutes. <laughs> right. So, yes, it's, the, the future is uh, coming at us very rapidly. And if you think about the role that electricity and now broadband play, our members and the, the whole electric utility industry have got a real challenge, but a real opportunity to keep us where we want to be as a country, as an economy, and then, you know, throw on cybersecurity and, you know, all those other attributes. There's so much. I bet we find something to do almost every day. <laughs> I think you're right about that. And I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm certainly glad of that too. Well, uh, Doug, thank you for joining me. Oh, again, thank you. I, I hope this was helpful. Um, these are my humble opinions, so sure. they're worth what you paid for them. Got it. <laughs> Got it. He is Doug Peters. He's the president and CEO of the TVPPA, the Tennessee Valley Public Power Authority, a uh, Public Power Association. Association. Sorry, no problem. And we're uh, we've got a few more guests lined up later today, so uh, we'll be coming uh, up with those next. And thank you for listening to Rural Broadband Today, where we take a look at the people and the issues shaping the rural broadband story across America. I'm your host, Andy Johns, filling in for Stephen Smith, and this program is produced by Word South, a content marketing company, an affiliation with Pioneer Utility Resources. Please share this episode with your network and help us tell the rural broadband story. Thank you for listening. Rural Broadband Today is a production of Word South, a content marketing company.